This episode of Talk Central is brought to you by Pinnacle, Africa's top ICT distribution business, delivering the exceptional every time. I'm Richard van Berg. And I'm Duncan McLeod. This is Talk Central, episode 223, for the week starting 24 June 2018. Talk Central is brought to you by Tech Central, SA's premier tech news website and podcast network. On Talk Central this week, the one, the only, Aki Anastasio joins us on the show. Yay, we'll be chatting to Aki shortly. (laughs) Yeah. Welcome, Aki. How's it, guys? Good good day to you. Good day to you, Aki. Thanks for joining us. Uh, In the news this week, uh, MultiChoice loses premium customers, but its profits soar. Chuane versus the fiber providers. Vox is said to be for sale. Intel's CEO falls on his sword. And Facebook launches Instagram TV. We also have a great prize of a Ring video doorbell to give away to one of our live listeners today. So don't go anywhere. I must tell you, those are very cool. I've been playing with one. Um, and it's it's quite an extraordinary company. Hey? Just as a, as a side note, I was doing some research on them, and uh, you know they've got this television show on ABC where you you know the um, what's it called Shark Tank. Yeah. And a couple of years ago, these guys went on and everybody turned them down. They said, "Who wants to have a video doorbell? Nobody would invest in them." That was like five years ago. And then in came Richard Branson, put a bit of money in, saw the great potential, saw the tech that these guys had. And this company that makes the ring, I was actually speaking to the inventor at one of the shows, is now worth over a billion dollars. It's quite extraordinary. That's incredible. In fact, they were bought out by Amazon, weren't they? I, I could be, uh, you could be well right. I, I don't know, but they, they've just t- taken a traditional doorbell and said, "Hey, let's let's reimagine this thing." Yeah, no, yeah, it's a fantastic idea. It's a fantastic idea. But before we get into that, it's Sunday. We're live on live.techcentral.co.za, and it's time to talk tech. Stuff. Well, welcome to the show, guys. And Aki, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, it's uh, fantastic to be with you guys. So, as you were saying, Aki, we have a great prize to give away a Ring Video Doorbell. And uh, we're giving it away to one of our live listeners today. So, uh, if you're listening live, you're probably in quite a good shot of winning this. Now, all you need to do is answer this question Which U.S. city is the headquarters of Ring? It's a, an American city. Uh, and uh, it's on the West Coast, but I think that's all I'm going to say. Uh, which U.S. city is the headquarters of Ring? Now, you can text your answers to 71 in WhatsApp, please. 71 Which U.S. city is the headquarters of Ring? And we'll take the third correct answer in the show today. Uh, if you're lucky enough to receive that, we'll uh, dispatch your Ring video doorbell to you within the next couple of weeks. In fact, I heard you talking about this product on 702 two the other day if I'm not mistaken Aki yes no no I was and um, it's it's one of those products and I actually met the founder of the company at one of the shows a couple of years back and uh, it's it's a fascinating company um, uh, that you know they have this program in the US called Shark Tank we've got something similar here where you take your idea and you pitch it and you hopefully get some investors investing in your company and these guys started this in a garage um, about five six years ago um, and you know they three engineers and they, the guy's vision was to just reimagine the traditional doorbell add two-way video conferencing and you know create something spectacular but they got turned down at that show um, about five years ago and um, 
they kept getting turned down and they were like, had like no more money left. And then in came Richard Branson about three years ago and he said, Hey, this, this has got some legs and these guys are now worth a, a billion dollars, over a billion dollars as a company. So it's quite impressive that you just don't give up if you've got the right idea and you mm. create and sell mm. it in the right way. You know, anything's possible. Yeah. It's and in the era, in the era of deliveries, like, you know, everybody's ordering online and getting their stuff delivered. You know, this is the kind of product that mm. really puts you in touch with those kind of things. You know, okay, mm. I know that this things getting delivered or I know who's at my house when I'm not there. But you know, they've got um, like their motto is to, you know, to make the world more secure and they've got other byproducts as well, you know, so they've got this, um, you know, when you walk into somebody's garden and the light beam comes on um, but they've put a camera into that light beam and they've, you know, added a bit more tech to it. So they're using some smart technology to really create some different security devices. Yeah, and uh, you, I checked. It is Amazon that bought them out. And uh, Rechat, you're quite right. The, the, I think they bought them because of the fact that people are often not at home when when mm. Amazon knocks on the door to deliver a product. And now with the Ring doorbell, you can let them in remotely and have them put it by your back door or wherever in your garage um, yeah, with, yeah. without worry of the, of the uh, delivery being stolen or, or nicked by someone if it's, it's lying on the pavement outside your door. Exactly. So, uh, which U.S. city is the headquarters of Ring? Oh seven one triple nine double one double one. Send us a WhatsApp to that number, and you could win one of these great products in our show today. We'll uh, announce the winner of the prize at the end of today's podcast. But before we carry on, let's uh, let's get to the, this week's uh, quiz. Rechard, do you want to do the first question? Certainly, the first question in this week's quiz: The SABC has a new CEO effective one July. Who is he? Intel's CEO this week was ousted after it was discovered he had a romantic relationship with one of the company's employees in contravention of, a com- of company policy. Who is he? The third question. Who are currently the th- world's three richest people in order according to the Bloomberg Billionaires Index? And Naspash this week was one of two investors who pumped 2.9 billion rand into which Indian fast food technology company? And the final question. Aki Anastasia hosts this technology segment on Gauteng Radio Station 702. What is the segment called? And uh, if you're lucky, maybe Aki will give you a hint during the show. <laughs> You've been doing that segment for a long time now, Aki. It must be at least 10 years, probably longer, right? Do you know, it's actually, it's actually been uh, 20 years. 20? Uh, 20 wow. years. Um, it, it's, it's extraordinary now. And you know what reminded me of that? It's just, in fact, it's just over 20 years. And um, I don't know if we've got time to, to read an email that I found just the other day. That of course. was sent to me. Um, and it's, it's quite an extraordinary uh, email that I received. And um, it, 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 I got this in the year 2000. 28th of August 2000, entitled Internet Banks to Technobite Show Attention, Akianas Dasu. He says, your program on Monday afternoon, the 28th of August 2000, at about 5 p.m. refers, my son's internet bank, X.com, was the first pure internet bank as far as I know. X owns PayPal, as well as X is a registered U.S. bank, and he goes on and it says it made it to the 50 top companies in the U.S. X was started by my son, Elon. X Pretoria Mshlanga Boy, now 29, in about March last year. And he goes on and on about, you know, the domain... Z and um, you know how much they paid for it, and then he says um, the, the 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 bank was called Zero in those days. And interestingly, he says Elon employs Pick Buerta's grandson, who just graduated first in the MBA, MBA class at Stanford University. 
Um, and at the last reckoning, he says the bank had a net value of about $650 million. And then he goes on to talk about Elon started Zip2 Corporation with his brother Kimball and, and blah, blah, blah. And he says Elon and Kimball have made U.S. millionaires out of many Americans. Um, they were the exceptions, and they sold the bank, and he talks about PayPal, etc., etc. And it was Errol Musk, Elon Musk's dad. And that's how <laughs> I first got to speak to Elon Musk all those years ago. And I had never heard of this guy until this email came in. Okay, so you had wow. Elon on your show. Oh, that's ages and ages ago, like that year, too, the year 2000, talking yeah. about uh, X.com and, um, and um, you know, Zip2, which yeah. is uh, a company which was sold to Compaq, you remember, from the uh, mm. uh, many, many years ago, yes. it was 98. And, I mean, those kind of sales in those days were Mickey Mouse compared to what we're seeing the acquisitions around today, hey? Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Sure. So, as a matter of interest, why did he pay for that uh, domain? Did he did he mention it in that? Uh, uh, he, I'm just looking. He paid. There we go. He says he, he paid one million dollars for the uh, zx.com um, uh, domain <laughs> Even back one, then. Yeah, that was back then. That was 1989. <clears throat> he paid a million dollars. Wow, wow, that's amazing. What What are some of the cool people you've had on your show? I know uh, you, a couple of years ago. I think it was. I think you were in. Um, Cupertino, uh, you were going for a morning jog, you ran into a coffee shop, and you bumped into none other than Mr. Tim Cook from Apple. <laughs> yeah. No, he was, uh, he was so chilled. He was just having, you know, he was sitting in the morning on his iPad having coffee at Starbucks. No bodyguards around him, nothing. And I, I ran past, and I did a double take, and I said, that's surely not him. And I walked in, and I said, Mr. Cook, I'm a <laughs> like, like a complete groupie. <laughs> I'm Mr. Cook, I'm a huge fan. Can we do a selfie? He said, sure, I did a selfie. And then I carried on with my run. It was like, it was just a weirdest, weirdest, surreal feeling. But you know, you talk about the guests that I've interviewed over the years, guys. Um, you know, for me, you know, what I, what I did was I used to find interesting stories on the net from the different research universities around the world, the stuff that they were working on. And just, uh, you know, sending a professor an email and saying, hey, I'd love to talk to you about your the, what you're developing and the kinds of breakthroughs you're making in the medical world. And those for me were the real interesting ones. It's not one that stands out, but just the incredible stuff that people are doing. And, you know, it just brings me to one of the things I wanted to talk to you about this week, guys. And, you know, it's uh, the U.S. Patent Office last week. Did you see that um, message that came out? They, they, they issued their 10 millionth patent. Good grief. Wow. Okay, 10 million patents. But the interesting thing for me was, um, you know, they, they've been counting these patents that they've been issuing since 1850. So listen to this for a stat. It took 155 years, okay, from about 1836 to 1991 for the U.S. to issue the first 5 million patents. It took just 27 years after that for the next 5 million patents. So you're just seeing this incredible um, surge in just in the last three decades in particular, but in more so in the last decade of the amount of patents that are being issued and the amount of research and things that people are inventing around the world. It's just extraordinary, the rate at which it's, uh, it's coming out. Unbelievable. Yeah. I would hate to be those guys. I mean, imagine having to sift through all of these things and just, you know, you have to research each one to make sure that this hasn't been patented before or doesn't infringe on another patent. I mean, that must be crazy. Do they do yeah, that? No, do they do that or do they just uh, um, publish the patent and say if anyone wants to challenge this, you're welcome to? And if no one challenges, then it gets awarded. Really? If that's the case, then that's all. Okay, that's a bit weird. But um. Well, do you know what the 10 millionth patent was that they uh, sent out? Tell us. The 10 millionth patent, it was uh, it's the most bizarre one. I'll tell you guys now. Hold on a second. It goes to. Um, 
It's a, it's one that's owned by Rayothon. Okay, and um, I'm just looking for this patent over here. If you just bear with me a second, uh, it's just, but it's it's got something to do with light and lasers, and uh, and it's got to do with self-driving technology, um, and it's got to do with. Um, oh, here we go. Uh, Hang on, hang on. So the ninth millionth patent was awarded for a windshield washer conditioner, which recycles rainwater from a car's windshield to clean the glass. The 10 millionth patent was um, one from a guy that works for General Electric, um, and his one was uh, for (laughs) methods for electrolution and biomolecules and sample collection and quality control for blood-borne pathogens. Right, oh man, I've I'll got you digest that one for a second. <laughs> Sounds dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I wonder how many patents are issued in, have been issued in total in South Africa over the years. Uh, it must oh, be a, an interesting one. Must be a quite a small number relative to the US. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, it's a, it, it's interesting if you compare the US to China. Um, and and they, they they're catching on pretty quickly as well. And they've obviously got. Um, you know they've got uh, you know different challenges and how they how they do these things. But um, China as well is developing patents at a rapid rapid pace as well. Um, I'm just looking for some of the stats here, but um, I'll have to, I'll just have to find it. At one, I mean, China, China's sitting on about 150,000 in 2017, for example. I wonder how many of those patents are copied U.S. patents, though. <laughs> yeah, just to secure the local rights. <laughs> yeah. We we do know that uh, uh, China um, started by building its its technology sector by cloning American industry. I think Cisco mm. has bad memories of of what Huawei did to them, um, but it has changed over the years. And uh, there's a lot of innovation coming out of China now, of course. Well, they're the big countries. Okay, so the big one. 2017, uh, US had about 150,000 patents. Japan uh, is in second place. They had about 50,000. Korea um, about 30,000. Germany in fourth had about 25,000. And China had about 17,000. But mm-hmm. they they're growing rapidly on the other four that I mentioned. They're in fifth position. So those are the big countries. Great. Is South Africa on that list by any chance? Yeah, it's not point not 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 zero percent. Good grief! Yeah, no, we we're not on that list. We don't even feature on that radar. But I hope we do, you know, because we got some smart guys. If you look at the kinds of work that they're working on at the CSIR and the uh, innovation yeah. hub in in Pretoria, there's some guys working on some really interesting stuff there. Yeah, I actually mm. had an interview with one of them uh, last week. We did a podcast with. Um, Osei, I forget his surname, he's um, based in Port Elizabeth and uh, he's uh, part of a team that's looking to build alternatives to um, plastics, um, but using things like sh- uh, sugarcane and, and these sort of um, the bits of, of, of maize that, that uh, isn't used for consumption and uh, turning that into biodegradable plastics. It was quite an interesting discussion that and they're doing some, they're, they're doing some very interesting work at the CSIR actually. Mm-hmm. So we should probably jump into this week's news, and there's quite a bit we need to talk about. And uh, we're going to start with uh, multi-choice. 
Uh, NASPAT announced its results on Friday afternoon, and uh, we have a quick dive in there to have a look at what the multi-choice or the so-called video entertainment numbers are, are looking like. And it was an interesting kind of a mixed bag. Their profitability was up. Uh, quite strongly um, we're talking about uh, well, revenues were up 8% to 3.7 billion US dollars they're reporting US dollars now and their operational profitability as measured using something called EBITDA or earnings before interest tax depreciation and amortization was up by 21% to $627 million trading profit was up 29% to $287 million now this is in the video entertainment or multi-choice business with inside NASPAT uh, those are good numbers. Those are pretty good numbers for a business that has warned that it's um, it's facing an existential threat from the likes of Netflix. Uh, it seems that existential threat has not uh, materialized in this last set of numbers. However, what was really interesting in the numbers was that their uh, premium uh, subscribers, DSTV premium tier, did less well. The number of premium subscribers fell from 1.92 million to 1.9 uh, – sorry, from 1.96 million to 1.92 million while compact subscribers rose from 3.18 million to 3.52 million and lower end subscribers those in other tiers below compact jumped from 6.8 million to 8.04 million so the top end of the market they're losing ground and i would imagine that's from guys who have subscribed to fiber and have are watching or getting their entertainment through services like netflix and showmax which they own and amazon prime video but at the lower end of the market, where obviously fiber penetration hasn't um, reached yet, they're still seeing robust growth. So I, I don't know what that means. I mean, I'd imagine that the premium customer base is their most profitable, um, mm. but they're growing very strongly at the lower end. Um, so it's kind of a, a, a there's kind of two stories here. Um, but also, we shouldn't we shouldn't forget that. In general, for the consumer, things are just getting more expensive. I mean, mm. you know, we've had all of this increase over the last year. Petrol is getting expensive. I mean, they, every sector is just getting more pricey, and people are having to make these decisions. Mm. Uh, you know, what are we going to cut? We need to cut something. Now, cutting a DSTV subscription and going to Netflix is a simple and easy solution for guys that want entertainment. You know, as, as long as you have connectivity. As long as you have connectivity, but most I'm talking about most kind of mid middle class households. Yeah. Um, you, you know the guys that do either have high end ADSL or fiber. Yeah. Um, you know, the internet is very important in every household, especially for those with kids and they need it for for education. Um, so so it's difficult to cut the internet versus cutting your DSL subscription. So I think that that shouldn't be forgotten. You know that things are generally getting expensive and people are just making a a smarter choice as to where they're spending their money for their entertainment. And I, I guess some but of those... Yeah. Sorry, Aki. No, I'm saying that, um, you know, the other thing, I mean, if you look at South Africa, uh, how, how many paying customers do we have in South Africa? I think it, w w w the last numbers um, in South Africa, multi-choice, I'm not sure how many they had exactly. But uh, if you break it down and uh, you look at where the growth is happening, I would be quite certain that it would be probably in Africa. Yes. Um, when you look at those numbers, and I mean, just last year's number, if I remember, they had something like 12 million paying subscribers outside of South Africa. So um, I, I would imagine that's that's where the big growth is coming from. And interestingly, that's where they're facing the most competition in South Africa. They are extremely dominant. Um, the next biggest um, satellite provider is is, is tiny. Uh, I think StarSat is number two. Um, yes. If you exclude, of course, OpenView HD, which is a free-to-air uh, platform. Um, but yeah, they are facing a lot of competition in markets like Nigeria and uh, other Kenya, other markets from 
particularly from Chinese operators, including Starset. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think you're right, Rechard. The the economy is tough, and uh, I think some of the numbers we've seen from the premium and the growth in compact could, in fact, be people switching out of premium into compact uh, just because mm-hmm. they can't afford premium or they 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 um, don't see the value in it at the price that they're paying. It, it is an expensive monthly option. I wonder what mm-hmm. they're going to do, you know, going forward because. I mean, this is going to be an interesting trend going forward, and I think television around the world is is facing you know lots and lots of different challenges. And uh, you know, I, I would imagine the only way out for them, uh, you know, for the next survival of the next five or so years, would be to unbundle the sport, you know, because that's mm. that's the only reason why people are paying that premium bouquets because mm. of the sport. But will they do that? Because I mean, that's their leverage here. Um. Well, it's, it will be interesting to see what the licensing agreements are and when they expire because I think that, you know, all of these organizations, I mean, you remember the uh, black launch with, uh, with Celsi and uh, Jose dos Santos? Yeah. You know, he was talking about their, 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 um, their uh, set-top box that streams. And, um, you know, he was just talking about the renewal of many of these licenses. So the Rugby World Cup for next year, for example, they've given streaming rights to people. So mm. as soon as they start breaking in, I, I don't know how long they've got the rugby rights at, at multi-choice. I don't know how long they've got the, the, um, the broadcasting rights for football, for the uh, premiership in the UK. But even so, if you look at... The channels like Liverpool TV and Manchester United TV, about three years ago, they were allowed to screen the games and about 24 hours later. Yes. So if you, uh, if you, you know, subscribe to their channel on, on, um, on, you know, one of your boxes like the Apple TV, for example, then the time's been cut down to 12 hours and I think it's now down to six hours after the game has been played. So you can slowly see it's slowly creeping down and it wouldn't surprise me you know, when, when you have the first breakthrough like uh, an Amazon or an, an Apple that, that signed the streaming rights to one of these sports games, and I think that you'll mm. see an accelerated unbundling of these kind of services on multi-choice. Mm, mm, indeed, indeed. Uh, it's, it's interesting times, and I wouldn't be surprised, Aki, if we see uh, a Netflix or an Amazon eventually get, starting to play in the same sports rights arena that multi-choice plays in now. I mean, we've already seen Amazon bid for and win the rights to, uh, to, to British soccer, and I wouldn't be surprised if one of these companies had a look at rugby rights at some point, so, like bidding for the super rugby rights, perhaps for the streaming side of it. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, in different? the US, it's, it's big. I mean, they, they, they stream the basketball, they stream, uh, you know, things like um, uh, baseball, for example. And if I'm not mistaken, British Telecom bought some rights to some of the premiership games. So, sorry, Rachel, you wanted to say something there. No, I actually lost my train of thought. Um, oh, oh, these these guys have a lot more money behind them as well. Uh, you know, if you look at some of these big international guys, uh, let's say hypothetically speaking, Netflix wants to get into sport. They would have potentially a lot more money behind them to bid for these rights um, than a local company or you know even a, a company as big as MultiChoice. I mean, if Amazon comes in and they want to start, you know, take over that industry. Well, here it is, guys. I, ju- I just uh, I just uh, did some Google searching, and how's this? This is a story that was appearing on the seventh of June of this year, just about two weeks ago, and it says Amazon has purchased a three-year rights package to broadcast premiership football games in the United Kingdom, um, and they've purchased 20 games per season starting 2019. Hmm. Um, there the, we go. Based on the cost of the Premier League's February rights auction, which saw the rights to 128 matches sold for $4.6 billion, Amazon would likely have paid around $12.5 million per game. So there you go. 
There we go. And uh, wow. r- rugby is a big sport. I'm not as big as British football, but it's it's still a big sport. And uh, it's only a matter of time before I think multi-choice finds itself in a bidding war for those rights with uh, one of these mm. international players. I didn't I didn't quite realize that these guys auctioned um, you know the rights. Um, you know they, they've obviously done this auction now, but uh, mm. you know to think that 128 games of football are worth 4.6 billion dollars. It's quite extraordinary. <laughs> it is amazing. It is amazing. British it's essentially just ticket access. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's massive. Um, I think we we don't really have an appreciation sitting down here in South Africa of just how big <laughs> English football really is. <laughs> well, and, and just reading further down, um, it says here that Amazon paid thirteen and a half million dollars to broadcast ATP tennis matches this year. Good grief! So they they clearly are um, doing a lot of aggressive stuff, um, and you know, just to what you guys were saying earlier. Um, there you go. So, the rights to the matches was actually won by UK broadcaster Sky. Yeah. Um, and Walt Disney Group. Uh, there's a few of them. Comcast. That all of them paid about three point six billion dollars for all those games. Oof, massive stuff. I also wouldn't be surprised if we see a future where you know these organisations like you know the rugby union and and all of these big bodies would have they would obviously have various rights to there so broadcast uh, um, streaming and all those things but where they would probably do it themselves and then do you just like ESPN has done where you get to a point where these guys would just go direct to the public um if they can do it online if they've got the infrastructure it certainly makes a lot of sense if they want to um branch out into that type of thing yeah that's actually a very good point because I was reading somewhere you know these brands are so massive uh, which is why they've got the likes of Liverpool TV and Manchester United TV. Um, and I think that ultimately they are going to probably become, you know, sub-media companies in their own right, mm-hmm. um, instead of de- dealing and selling their content, because ultimately they're the ones who create the content to view. And you've got, you know, the one uh, league, which is the Premier League, which kind of controls all these bodies. So it's a very complicated licensing agreement and there's stadium fees and that sort of thing. But mm-hmm. I mean, there's massive money in football. I'd love to know what the, what the viewing was online with um, the World Cup, for example, this year. Oh, it must be massive. Um, but what I'm interested in before we move on to the next topic is is Amazon. They seem to be very keen on live sports. Uh, Netflix, I, I don't see any live sports on Netflix, but certainly Amazon is snapping up a lot of rights. And it, I think they're starting to look at differentiating through live sports relative to Netflix, which is obviously investing a lot of money in original content. Mm. I, I, do, I do wonder if um, – do you guys subscribe to Amazon Prime Video? No. I do no, subscribe. I, um, yeah. I, I do subscribe. And um, – I must say the content, I find the content not to be as good as what's available on Netflix, for example. Uh, they've got different stuff. I mean, every one of these subscription services has got different kinds of content. Yeah. Mm. But, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm thinking twice about holding on to it, to be honest. Yeah, I, I canceled my – I had an Amazon Prime subscription for quite a while, and I actually ended up canceling it because I just felt um, – well, I, you know, there's content on there that you might watch at some point, but there's just so much on Netflix that um, I don't think I'd ever get to it. And the quality of the content on Netflix is is so broad and so good that mm. um, I can't really justify it. But one thing I do miss, and I may simply resubscribe for a month once the show has been – is available, the full go, series go is available. Go on, tell us, Duncan. Is the <laughs> – the Grand Tour, um, which is which is great television. I really enjoy uh, Jeremy Clarkson and the boys. 
But it's oh, beautiful yeah, that yeah. you've got the option to subscribe when you want to. I mean, and, and again, if you break it down, you can subscribe to three or four streaming services in South Africa and still be cheaper than multi-choice. Now, granted, you don't have all of the same local content, mm. um, but people's thinking is heading in that direction. You know, I'd subscribe to two streaming services in South Africa, and that gives me enough for me to consume, you know, and all the mm. stuff that I enjoy. Yeah. And like but you said, when you want to, you just subscribe and get to series and then stop again. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, Duncan, you make a very interesting point, and I think that, uh, you know, going forward in the next uh, 24 months or so, th- this is going to be the key differentiator to see what, what Amazon does with those live sports rights. They've obviously identified um, this gap in the market, and they're gunning for this gap, and that nobody else is doing that mm. live sports streaming. Um, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, the likes of Facebook, you know, you, we, we haven't even mentioned Facebook here, that mm. you know, they would also be one of the big players in streaming these kinds of events. And uh, it will be very interesting to see what will happen in the next um, 24 months and who's going to own the space. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see. But I, I, I wouldn't bet against uh, Facebook or Amazon really getting really aggressive, mm. getting rights to stream a lot of the sport. Indeed, face, Facebook is, is really the, the dark horse here, and uh, maybe we can segue into another story, uh, the Instagram TV launch this week, which, Rechard, you're quite keen to talk about. I've installed the app on my mm. phone, but I haven't really had a proper chance to play with it yet. But uh, the, the idea here is to, as, as from, from what I understand, is to um, popularize the uh, vertical video in sort of smartphone format and to allow user-generated content of up to an hour. Um, what, what, is the, what are they trying to do here? Well, they're obviously taking on, I mean, having hosted content on your platform is, is the big thing. YouTube has certainly shown us that, you know, people are hungry to create or creators are hungry to share their voice online and they do, they're all looking for a platform. Now, like you said, uh, Instagram is going after that vertical video segment. Um, the Instagram stories has proved very popular over the last uh, year or so, I think, since it's been out. Um, and this is just taking it to the next level. Obviously, like you said, taking the shows a bit longer. Um, and, and what they actually said in the launch is they want to make more people famous. I mean, that's quite a weird thing to say, but they want to give more people a voice to be able to, you know, become little microcosms of um, influencers, I guess, or people that have communities that they talk to, uh, no matter what it is. Um, also interesting to note that Instagram did just hit a billion users. So they've got a massive audience who, who certainly is hungry for this content. Um, now, it's obviously, I've been digesting a lot of uh, Instagram stories over the last uh, few months. Um, so when this came out, obviously, I jumped on board. I tried it out. And, and it's a great platform. It's like TV. So when you open it up, the video plays automatically. You know, mm-hmm. you just it's like live TV. You just have to switch uh, between the live videos. The thing that I haven't, I mean, obviously, there isn't enough local creators yet I've found. Or, or, you know, I've been searching. There's a lot of guys, but they don't show up in my feed for some reason. There's a lot of lot of local creators, but not uh, the guys that I follow um, that create content. So they, I, th- I think we still need some, um, you know, we need more mm. people to create more video in South Africa to, to, to really show what this thing can do. But for but young I people, mean, this is the way they consume audio, content. But it, it was very interesting, and I agree with what you were both saying. But I, I wonder, that, you know, what... what uh, uh, influence YouTube had on this decision because, you know, they're the big gorilla in the room with with TV and 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 streaming and live TV gaining traction very very fast. Um, uh, they surely must be worried about this move as well because it's going to take yeah. lots of users who traditionally use that platform to do exactly not yet, that. Because they, Instagram hasn't monetized yet, and that, this is now where things get interesting. YouTube is is not perfect, but they're doing it well enough where there are people on YouTube that make a fair amount of money. 
Instagram don't have that. They haven't monetized the system yet. They will probably do it once they kind of figure out how to do it. I mean, if, imagine if you scroll Instagram TV now and you have this annoying video pop-up. I mean, it wouldn't work as well as what it do, does on, on, on YouTube. Mm, mm. So that's the big thing for people to jump. I mean, you can have a lot of guys creating content for Instagram TV, but it's not going to be necessarily their the, the main channel yet, I can see, if, if they're YouTubers at least. Um, the way that people would make money is by having brands um, pay for sponsored content that they then create for their audience. So they don't make money off yeah. the platform. They make money off brands sponsoring them. But what really fascinates me about this is um, is this decision to go for horizontal video. I mean, we've always understood television and video to be in this rectangular format, not vertical, so wider mm-hmm. than taller. It's almost as if they're trying to reinvent the whole concept of television and video here. I don't know if it's so much them reinventing as what this, that's how people consume stuff on their smart, uh, mobile phones. I mean, I must say, I get very frustrated when I fire up a YouTube video and I don't have auto-rotate set on my phone because it bugs the hell out of me. I fire up a YouTube video and I squ- squ- I'm staring at this tiny little square at the top of the screen and I have to maximize it to be able to watch the video. It's actually quite irritating. No, so maybe no. maybe Facebook is onto something here with vertical video. L- look, I think, I think so. And also, there, there is a massive part of the demographic they, that they're aiming at with us, and we are probably not that a main part of that. You know, we are not the the, the main audience. Are you that, saying uh, we're too old? Um, yes, I am, Duncan. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, um, it's only in physical appearance. Uh, yeah, it's the grey hairs, guys. The grey hairs are defined. Dead giveaway. But yeah, but but you know, I was reading some fascinating research uh, a couple of weeks back, and they were saying that next year will be the year that we that the world will spend more time online. Uh, than they do watching TV. So, mm. um, and, 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 you know, certainly that they're watching a lot more video and TV on their devices than actual traditional mm. television. So I think that's definitely where it's going. If you look at, uh, you know, television and uh, being online, it's, it's all happening on that screen. Hence this move from Instagram. Yeah. Well, I think you can. Sorry, carry on. Right. So I think you can you, you can you can you can further extrapolate the, the, the kind of that kind of thinking. If you look at people currently, even I mean, I don't have terrestrial TV or satellite TV, but even when I'm watching YouTube, I would be on my phone not all the time, but I would be on my phone from time to time checking stuff. So yeah. your phone is already even today when we have a main screen that we're looking at is already we looking at it probably more than what we are the thing that we are looking at. Yes, I absolutely like agree. I, I was just going to make that point, actually. It, you know, 10 years ago and, and, and further into the past, when you sat down in front of the television, you were consumed by one screen. Now when you sit down in front of the TV, you're watching the, screen on the, you're watching the TV screen, but you're almost certainly watching a tablet or a, or, a, or, a, or a smartphone in front of you, checking Facebook or Instagram exactly. or whatever you happen to be doing. So your attention isn't as focused as it used to be on that big screen. TV. And here's a quick, a quick poll for you too. How many, how many screens have you got in front of you right now, whether they're on or off? How many can you see? Directly in, in front of me. line of sight. Four. Yeah. I have four. I've I've got four as well. I've got <laughs> I've got my computer connected to three monitors, and I've got my phone in front of me, and I've got I've, I've got I've something got open four. on each of the monitors. <laughs> but I mean, we also we all have three devices and four screens, roughly, or one or four devices, you know, because most of us have two screens to a device or to our main PC. Yeah, are we there? We in we in the middle of this. Yeah, and I can't see behind me where I've probably got another seven or eight screens. Uh, <laughs> 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 I uh, I need to I need that new Apple uh, feature that's coming uh, that um, convinces you to use yes. your phone less than you do because I I do spend far too much time staring at a device I must say. 
Yeah, but look, I mean, times have also changed. You know, if yeah, I guess you can cut down certain frivolous time, uh, the time you spend frivolously on the internet. Um, but it's part of mm. life today. You know, you can't get away from not having a phone and not looking at it. Whether you communicate, I mean, you can argue, yes, you might. You don't have to get back to each message immediately. I mean, that's probably a human trait that we should overcome. Yeah, but but. You know, we can't get away from, we just need to embrace it the best we can and make sure that we're still living healthy lifestyles. We still, you know, try and look beyond a screen every now and then. Yeah. But, you know, we're not going to get away from it. I'm actually thinking of switching off those blue ticks in WhatsApp because, uh, uh, you know, when someone knows that you've read your message, you feel pressure to get back to them. Can uh, you do that? You can do that. Go into settings and, um, and switch it off. Yeah. What? Guess what I'm doing right now. <laughs> now. Yeah. <laughs> You can get there first. <laughs> it is kind of useful sometimes to be able to uh, to know that your message has been received. The problem is if you switch off the blue text, you w- you won't know if a message you've sent to someone else has been received. Cancel abort mission. Abort mission. Yeah. But I think that you know I, I don't I don't think people. I guess this comes down to people. You know the psychology of people again. You know, mm. does it really matter if somebody's read the message and not replied? I mean, obviously, if it goes two weeks go by and you haven't replied, then it might be an issue. Yeah. But, you know, give me an hour or three. I might see it, digest what I need to do, go into something else, and then reply to you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Should be acceptable. Right, we've got some messages coming in on uh, on WhatsApp here. Um, we've got two answers to our quiz, which is uh, in our um, prize giveaway for the show, and they're both wrong, guys. Uh, <laughs> I don't think the question was too hard. We're giving away a, um, a Ring video doorbell this week, and the question was, which U.S. city is the headquarters of Ring? Very easy to Google. Guys, go and do it. Uh, the answer is not Los Angeles, which is two of the answers we've received here so far, um, although the city is kind of in the in the borders, I think, of Los Angeles or right next to Los Angeles. Uh, so there's a there's a bit of a hint. Keep those uh, answers coming, 71 We do want to give away this prize before the end of the show. And then we've got a message here from... Um, from Jonathan, who says, interesting chat. You can get Netflix and Amazon for half the price of DSTV. There is a data cost, but that is factored into what you require in your house anyway. In addition, oh. if someone, uh, in addition, if someone in the family has a full DSTV subscription, then you can use their login to watch that content and sport when necessary. Also found myself watching a lot of YouTube content lately, which is quite interesting, usually of a decent quality and free. Mm. So I, 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 I wonder, guys, when D, just on that, I wonder when DSTV are going to block that option as well. Because you know, if you've no. got a premium subscription, you can share your account details with other people, and they can just stream that content on television. I'm surprised so they haven't locked it down to like Netflix yeah. has two screens or four screens. You pay for that option. Oh, yeah. y- yes, give me give me access to four screens or five screens if I have a family. Um, if 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 my brother somewhere else uses it, like it's not the end of the world for some things, but. They would probably not appreciate that kind of usage. Yeah, but it's rough. Yeah, yeah. YouTube. But I'm, I'm using a lot of YouTube actually. I've I've got a PC connected to my TV, a Windows PC, and um, I've got all the services on my task tray. And YouTube is one of them. And if I just feel like watching something for ten minutes rather than watching a whole series, I'll just I'll just fire up YouTube. And I mm. do I do consume mm. a lot of content for, for um, on my TV through YouTube, which is quite interesting. And, and it, it goes to show the quality of the content and how it is improved. I mean, yeah. I I've obviously follow a lot of content creators out there, the guys that make a lot of the content, and they, you know, they talk about how they do it, and, and you kind of get a good insight into these things. Yeah. Um, it, the, the, this is the new way that we're going to consume media. If you want to get news, you're going to follow one of these cool guys, uh, one of these kind of YouTubers like yeah. uh, Philip DeFranco is in the States, and he's a massive uh, kind of factual talk show kind of. He just you know, talks about current news affairs, and he's very <laughs> – um, very, he's not biased in his, his, his ways talking about it. He, mm. he kind of covers all the angles, and 
if you look at a younger generation consuming news, that's how they're going to do it, not uh, seven Absolutely. o'clock. Absolutely. But also, you know, but also, guys, you know, the, the relationship, uh, the relationship between the actual networks and YouTube, and 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 you know how they broadcast their stuff. I mean, if you look at, um, I was just looking at the stats of James Gordon's um, um, uh, carpool karaoke, for example. And just the other day, he announced this, uh, you know, they, they obviously screened it on television, and then it goes on to YouTube afterwards. Mm. And when it when it went on live, I think it was on Friday afternoon, that it was something on like 300,000 views or something. And I'm just looking now, it's it's now number nine on trending globally, and they've had 11 and a half million views. Wow. So Incredible. if you think of the relationship between the television station that owns the content and, you know, broadcasting it live and then putting it out on YouTube – um, you know, if they, they're getting a double whammy if they manage it mm-hmm. properly. So it's mm-hmm. like, uh, it's this kind of relationship that you cannot simply ignore. And uh, I wonder how many television stations will, you know, start streaming that live content on Instagram when yeah. there's big news stories, for example, or, or even, you know, big company launches. It's just a great platform to get onto there. I was reading a very, think, sorry, oh, sorry, um, I also, th- you know, if we, I, it, it could go either way if you think about what happened to print media and, I mean, how they're still struggling. Some guys get it right, some guys don't. But for the most part, print and newsprint is is dying. It's struggling. I mean, we've known this. It's been coming for a while. So it, it's now up to the broadcasters to, to figure out how are they going to adapt in mm-hmm. a Netflix era. And it's, it's difficult. I don't know anybody's got the answer. I was listening to uh, – reading a very interesting comment this morning um, or an article. I forget who where I saw it, uh, but it was some, some interesting stats. I can't vouch for their veracity. Uh, but someone said that um, the SABC publishes um, all of its original content on YouTube the day after or immediately after it's been broadcast live on television. And this includes their soapies like Generations and Scheme Psalm. Now, apparently those shows, each episode is um, being watched by hundreds of thousands of people on YouTube. And that um, the suggestion from, from this person was that um, one episode of of one of these soapies that the SABC puts on YouTube is being watched more on YouTube than carte blanche as television viewers on a Sunday night. It makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, guys, you can now download your video. So you go to a hotspot, download your shows, uh, download it to your phone, you got it for the day, and you can go watch yeah. it anyway. No, I well, I'm just uh, – yeah. as you were saying that, Duncan, I just went on to the SABC 2's uh, video page. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting. They've got you, – you're quite right. I mean, um, I'm looking at Generations Episode 150 yeah. is, uh, came on a, a day ago. It was first screened on the 22nd of June. Yeah. So you're quite right about that. And it, it's, it's quite interesting you say that because as you said that, um, you know, I've got these two businesses, you know, these two salons and yes. you know, staff in between the time. They, they're all on their phones. They're watching stuff. And this is the kind of content that people are consuming. So – um, it's fascinating you mention it, and I wonder how much of it is downloaded to be watched offline when you're traveling in a you know transport wherever you might Maybe. be. Going. Yeah. I'm sure I'm, I'm sure a lot of it would be. I, I yeah. see a lot of people. I've been noticing a lot of people sitting outside places of hotspots after hours or before hours. I don't know if you guys have ever noticed this. There's a few places I drive past, and they've got hotspots. And in the morning and the evening, if they're closed, you would see a guy out there with a notebook or with a phone hanging out there, and they're obviously downloading stuff. I mean, it, it makes sense if you've got access to data. Just download it to your phone and then 
you consume it for free. Yeah, there's an assumption. All this content is here. Wow. Yeah, mm. there's an assumption that uh, that um, the pe- people who are watching video online in South Africa are at the top end of the market, but it's actually not true. Um, okay, you're playing soap operas there. Uh, no, it's only that's record. <laughs> Sorry, it was me. It was me. It was me. That's record. I could tell it. Was, I was opening uh, Seven Delon. I missed this episode. Oh, uh, right. Okay. That we, was we, Santa Barbara. We, we, can, we can take a break <laughs> if you want to catch up and resume the podcast a bit later. <laughs> but Look I, I'm saying we're talking and we're trying to multitask at the same time. Shocking. <laughs> we're using our four screens, guys. Yeah. But I'm really impressed that SAPC's got all this content on. I've, yeah. I, it's the first time I'm seeing it, and there's some really good stuff. Yeah, but this this assumption that uh, that um, that that the lower end of the market is not watching online video is actually not true, or not not consuming mm. media online. You know, the biggest podcast in this country is um, is a soccer podcast, uh, and the guys are listening to it on feature phones on taxis. Hmm. Wow. wow! But you know, the, the the interesting thing with what you mentioned about the SABC, right? So they're putting all of that content up on on YouTube. Obviously, they still own the content, but. Um, it's it's giving YouTube um, a huge uh, library of content for other people to watch. Uh, if they kind of formalize some agreement uh, with the SABC and they say, okay, for a fee of, say, 50 bucks a month, you can watch any of the content. You know, when, when they start monetizing that, maybe mm. that's the plan going forward because there must be a reason why they're putting all that content up. Obviously, the continuity and mm. – but – Wow, I'm, I'm blown away by what I'm seeing here, Duncan. Yeah, I mean, yeah one, one hopes there is a, a business strategy behind it. <laughs> but this also kind of brings into question the whole television license thing, because if I don't have a tele- television license, there's no incentive for me to get one, right? If I can get my SABC content. I guess a good question. Each. Good question. Good point. Are you saying you've got a television license, record? I've been trying to get out of this thing for three years. It is... Painstaking. Yeah, you don't have a TV, do you? Not one with a receiver in it. Not, not anymore. No, yeah. I don't. And yeah. that's why I sent through the affidavits, waiting for them to to obviously cancel it. And every year I get called by hmm. some people wanting money. You can, in the immortal, immortal words of the Eagles, you can check, uh, check. What is it? Check out anytime <laughs> you like, but you can never leave. You can never leave. Yeah. <laughs> that's certainly true when it comes to the SABC. It's like yeah. an e-tag. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we need to take a quick break for our podcast listeners. For our live listeners, we're going to be back right now. Bitco is revolutionizing the way businesses connect. We're taking on your connectivity challenges and shooting our high-speed fiber internet across the country. Not just for some, but for everyone. Fiber is not a luxury, but a necessity. For business, for life, for you. And being connected is everything. So network with a tier one internet provider and take your business to the next level of connectivity. Bitco.co.za. Connectivity is everything. Hello? I know you're there. Look, I can see the lights of the TV. Please, I just want to watch the finale. Come on, guys. I'll give you a foot massage or anything. Time to get your own fiber? Speak to Vox. Because for a limited time period, you can save up to 3,000 Rand in installation costs. And we'll send a technician to help you get set up. Hello. Go to vox.co.za. Get fiber to your home. Get free installation and activation. Open the door to endless entertainment. T's and C's apply. Well, welcome back to the show. How's it, Aki? How's it, Rehot? How's it, Duncan? Hello, Rehot. 
Thanks, thanks again for joining us, Aki. Um, <laughs> let's, uh, let's, let's, let's move on with some, some other news. So the Intel CEO this week, um, effectively was ousted, uh, officially resigned after he had a romantic relationship with an employee at the company, uh, which was in violation of company rules. It sounds like a quite a nasty policy, doesn't it? Yeah, but I guess in today's day and age, I mean, if you look at all the, all the stuff that has this come out where, um, you know, employees, either the power struggle in, a, in when, you, when sexual assault and, okay, this is not that, but when you have those kind of things, the board, companies need to protect themselves. Mm. Um, and I think you have to take a harsh stance. I mean, I saw this though, I just thought, that is, strange. That is so harsh. I mean, he, he, he fell in love with someone who works, happened to work for Intel. And he, I guess he was a CEO. He knew the rules, but still, you know, you, you broke the rules, you're fired, get out. I suppose they have to send a message to to other uh, officials in the company that uh, this is not accepted. But you also have to ask if he knew the rules. He should really have known better than yeah. engaging in someone like. I mean, he's not. He's not. He's the CEO. He's, he's a not CEO. Yeah. A, a manager. He's not just a guy who's an engineer. You know. Mm. He's, he needs to set an I, example I wonder, for the business. You know, I wonder if 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 that could be challenged in court, um, because you know if he. Uh, and what I'm thinking about, yes, there is the power struggle, but, you know, the reality as well is that people do fall in love. Um, and, you know, you, you, you simply can't control your emotions. I mean, if he was, if he's had a few relationship and affairs with staff in the last decade and that comes out in the light, yes. But, um, you know, what happens if two people fall in love and he's now lost his job? Um, I just wonder if that, if this could be challenged. Um, Maybe. On a, on a legal front, but, uh, you know, it's, it, Intel is a very conservative company. As you guys both mm-hmm. rightly said, you know, they've got mm-hmm. such strict laws and, and rules within the company about fraternizing with staff and, um, you, you can't do it, but whew, it's a, it's a tough one. And, yeah. and you consider how many people in the world that we're living in are in a relationship because of somebody they met at work. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. No, look. I mean, you can you can certainly say that it it, it is a bit harsh, mm. um, but I think if you look at it from a company point of view, it needs to protect itself. Uh, you know, how many stories have we heard where the one party comes out against their boss or a fellow employee? Yes. It could have started like an with an as an amicable relationship, mm. and when things go bad, I think that's when the problem comes in. Um, so the CEO is going out with somebody. What if that relationship goes bad? Then. Potential issues could be, you know, with either role, yeah. with HR, with, you know, there's a lot of issues from that. Yeah, it's a difficult one. But I think, yeah, and also, you know, probably he's bought the company into disrepute. Um, um, I, I wonder if, if they would have had the same uh, rule imposed if he weren't married, because apparently he was married and he's had an affair. Oh, really? Oh. I didn't know that. Yeah. Mm. So, um, you know, if he was single and she was single, would would they have dealt this in the same way? I don't know, but I mean, they shouldn't treat it any differently, should they? I mean, it's his personal life. Um, but I think if you're the CEO, your personal life does affect because if you do something, it does affect uh, you know uh, the, the valuation or, or you know it's a share purchase of that. If people are you know hear rumours that this guy's on a drug binge with lots of random party people, you know, people are going to look at it and say, well, I don't want to invest in this business. That's true. That's true. 
But it comes at a bad time for Intel. I mean, they, they're struggling. They've, um, they're just coming out of the Spectre and Meltdown disaster. Uh, and um, they're really struggling to get into the mobile side of things where Qualcomm is running rings up around them. And, of course, we spoke about it on the show last week. Of course, uh, Qualcomm is coming for their lunch now with these new processors which for PCs and that will run Windows. Mm. Um, so not, not great timing, I don't think, for Intel, um, which is fighting battles on quite a number of fronts right now. Yeah, they're trying to reinvent themselves and, uh, you know, they're trying to get into the IoT market and they're trying all sorts of other things. You know, if it weren't for their server business and their processes they make there, you know, I don't know if they'd still be around in business today, eh? Yeah, that server yeah, business is their big business, yeah. Yeah, data centers. And that Spectre and Meltdown thing, it certainly done a lot of reputational damage in, uh, against, mm. amongst the big cloud providers who buy their chips on scale in scale. Yeah, and even so, you know, um, a lot of the big guys that are buying their chips and, you know, the likes of Amazon and Google and that sort of thing, they're now making their own yeah. elsewhere outside of Intel. Yeah. So, sure, it's a, it's a tough one, eh? Yeah, and, if, and they're facing competition for the first time in that consumer desktop market from, from, from AMD, which um, hasn't really been strong for many, many years. They've um, brought out. What are those processes called, Rechot? You'll never Ryzen. Know. The Ryzen chips, yes. Yeah, I've got a few here, and they mm. are fantastic. I mean, for budget line, it, they serve their purpose very well. They perform beautifully. Yeah. So um, not great, not great timing for Brian Cranich to be uh, to be leaving uh, Intel. But uh, let's move let's move along. I wrote a story this week after having a chat with Mike Silber, who is the uh, director at the FTTX Council, which is um, an industry body. Uh, representing um, dozens of, of uh, fiber players in South Africa, including some big names like MTN and um, Vodacom, Liquid Telecom, and others. Um, and they've um, they're in a, got, found themselves in a bit of a situation with the city of Chwane, which has um, released its, uh, I think it's called its Integrated Development Plan, um, which was published in newspapers um, recently. Uh, and in, buried inside that Integrated Development Plan is a section related to telecommunications facilities providers. And they've quietly hiked the cost of deploying infrastructure in Chwane. Now, Chwane um, is a very large area. Of course, um, it's uh, centered around Pretoria, but um, it includes Centurion, Shoshangovev, Winterfelt, uh, Cullinan. It's a, it's a vast area. So this has a big, big potential impact on these providers. But the new rates, which are coming into effect next week, uh, include the requirement for a refundable security deposit of a quarter of a million rand per application. Uh, previously, operators simply had to provide a covering guarantee. And then other fees include 15,000 rand for a single wayleave application. And there are also higher fees for running infrastructure through sewers and stormwater drains. The uh, refundable deposit per application, according to Silba, simply doesn't make sense. That's the sort of thing that would have been useful for us to engage on. Um, it's, it's always a bit troubling. I understand where the city of Chwane is coming from. They're trying to protect their road re- reserves, ensure, ensure the cowboys don't run a mock through, through uh, Chwane and dig up all the roads and don't fix them and ma- trying to ensure that there's some money available if, um, if there are cowboy operators out there. But the, the trouble is that, um, and as Mike Silver said, uh, they've already deployed fiber infrastructure in the well-to-do areas. Uh, then the industry is now starting to focus on on um, the lower end of the market, going into township markets, going into 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 lower LSM communities. And uh, with these in- increased fees, he's warning that this is going to have a, a a big impact on their ability to continue to deploy infrastructure and could, in fact, end up widening the digital divide in the city. I don't know if you guys have any views on this particularly. 
Yeah, it's silly. <laughs> it seems like somebody wants to make money. It does. It sounds like a revenue-raising opportunity, but when I asked Mike that specifically, he said no. He thinks it's just bureaucrats who are trying to do their best for the city, uh, but uh, he, he believes there should have been more engagement on this. But I would, I would think, and I'm really just waxing lyrically, but if they want to do the best for the city, why don't they rather engage with the industry, build set infrastructure that these guys can share, so just build massive pipes and nobody digs up the roads again, You know, just build a fat pipe under each road or something on the side, I mean, it, it might sound simpler than what it really is, but, you know, I think there's other solutions than mm. potentially hindering um, deployment of fiber. Yeah, mm. yeah it, 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 it just doesn't make sense, you know, just thinking about what you said and, and looking at how massive the infrastructure is. Um, I think it's, what, uh, six, over 6,000 square kilometers um, is the area of the city of Chwane. So, you know, you want, you, you want to harm that growth, that getting to fiber to the people, uh, it, it just doesn't make sense. And um, I don't know how they're going to handle this. It's, it's just such a bizarre move. I can understand regulations that say, as you say, Rehard, one trench and then mm-hmm. multiple providers blow their fibers through that uh, through that infrastructure. And I think the city of Cape Town has done something along those lines. But it, it does seem a bit onerous to have two, a fee of 250,000 rand per application uh, to be able to uh, deploy uh, any infrastructure in the city. It does mm-hmm. seem that it's going to add enormously to the costs. And those costs, if the infrastructure is even deployed, may have to be passed on to consumers. Well, the well, other I mean, thing as well, guys, is, you know, and I'm just voicing something that I've heard from, you know, city engineers of both the JRA and the equivalent in, in Chwani. And the fact is that a lot of these fiber operators have damaged the road to such a degree that it's cost huge amounts of money to repair many roads that they've had to be resurfaced because of the poor work that's been done in covering the roads afterwards. And of course, you know, as soon as you have, it's like a, it's like a, a, a tooth, a rotten tooth. You know, you, you have one bit of decay on, on the road and then mm. it just it yeah. spreads. And I think the fiber operators also need to sit down together as a group and say, guys, we need to find a different solution to this. And, and, and it has to be like they do it in the UK where you've got one company that trunks and you have one trunking and, you know, everybody's pipes go into that. Um, I mean, that's the way to go about it instead of everybody digging every five minutes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So our last story on the news agenda this week is Vox or Vox Telecom, as they used to be called. Um, They are reportedly for sale. Now, Bloomberg uh, ran a story uh, a few days back, said they're saying that Vox Telecom shareholders are looking to sell the South African network provider for about three billion rand to take advantage of the consolidation in the industry. Quoting two people familiar with the matter, owners including First Rand's Rand Merchant Bank and lender Investec see an opportunity to exit, said the people. And this is based on the uh, M&A activity that we've seen in the market, particularly the acquisition recently by CIVH um, of a stake in, in Vumatel, and they're potentially buying the whole of Vumatel soon. Uh, so inter- an interesting one, consolidation. Vox, this is not the first time that Vox has, um, has considered a sale. Um, they're a well-run business under Jacques de Toy. They've been doing very well from, from all accounts. Um, I, um, it'd be interesting to see if uh, a sale goes through and, um, and who might buy them. Yeah, it's a, it's it's an interesting move, but also you know it's not really a surprising one because no. um, you know the the market at the moment is is going through some very strange things, and and you know there there's got to be some kind of consolidation. There's a lot of players. Um, 
and and I also think that Vox Telecom, um, it, it would make sense to break down the business into different segments. I think they're trying to focus on too many things uh, that are out of their core offering. They are um, a full mm. they are uh, a full service telecommunications operator. But you're right; they have got their fingers in a lot of pies. Maybe they'd consider selling some of their assets. I mean, clearly there's a lot of interest in, in fiber infrastructure right now, so maybe it would make sense for them to look at selling Frogfoot, their fiber provider. Uh, but then perhaps the management believes that, that Frog, Frogfoot is integral to um, to the rest of the business. I don't know. I don't know. But it's uh, interesting that this is uh, this is now happening. I did reach out to Jacques de Toy to ask for comment, and uh, he said he's not in a position to be able to talk about it at the moment. So... Um, I, I do wonder if they've received any expressions of serious interest at this point. It's all speculation, of course. Mm. Yeah, I, I see the way you're saying that the in, Investec and RMB, for example, might be interested. Yeah. Uh, well, they're, they're interested in selling. They're um, selling, yeah. Know, the, yeah. They're selling. But, I mean, who else would be interested? And why, why would they want to sell at this point is the question. Well, maybe they realize that um, – I mean, they tried to – they looked at selling the Vox asset um, a few years ago, and they, they decided not to, presumably because they didn't get offers which they were happy with. Perhaps they've decided that the market, the M&A environment in the telecoms industry now is more conducive to getting the sort of return for that they'd, 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 they'd want. Mm. I can only imagine that that's the case. And, and certainly there you is – Yeah, sorry. Yeah. No, carry on, Duncan. Uh, certainly, there's there's a lot of uh, interest in in fiber assets. So Vodacom was very strongly rumored to be in talks about potentially buying uh, a stake in Vumatel. Um, they were pipped to the post by CIVH, which is now in exclusive uh, discussions to buy 100 percent of the company. But um, Shamil Jusub at Vodacom, he, uh, he he's keen to play in the fiber space, so they're a potential contender, I suppose. Yeah, and I wonder how many subscribers they've got, Fox. I mean, how many? How many lines are they running? How, how big are they? I mean, mm. uh, Telcom would be the other logical company that would be interested in uh, buying yeah. Vox. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. Telcom is a potential contender here as well. Absolutely. MTN, I suppose, possible as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Most the big guys. So, I mean, what, what did they pay? What, what did they pay for them um, when they bought them back? Was it 2010 or 2011 around then? Uh, I don't remember when they first got into the business. I think it may have been when they were, were still a listed entity. I think it goes back a long way. Uh, I mean, when R&B bought them. I think it goes back a very long way. I think it. Okay. I think, I think right. that. Remember, Vox used to be listed on the JSC. That's right. Uh, they then delisted. Right. I think. I think throughout that period, those those companies have been. Sh- I, I could be wrong, but I think they've been shareholders throughout that time. Just out of interest, guys, how many of you are using a, a VoIP line in your businesses or uh, at home or? Yes. Instead of, have you got VoIP at your home, Duncan? Yes, yes I do. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. I yeah. Just Some think of the business I work of, have that. Yeah. It's incredible the, the amount of people that are switching to VoIP lines um, across business networks, across homes. The rate is quite extraordinary. And, uh, and I wonder if there are any stats on that in the country at the moment because yeah. I'm pretty sure that if Telcom had released numbers, you know, the people are ditching copper at an alarming rate. Oh, no, rate. they do. You just look at their latest set of results. The, the voice yes. revenues are falling off a cliff. The number of fixed lines and services is declining rapidly. There's no doubt that that switch is happening. And it started in business. And uh, with the deployment of fiber, it's a no-brainer to switch to a VoIP line. It's so much cheaper. The quality often is better, um, if you provided you're on, on fiber. And it's... Um, it's 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 good. I mean, I, I think I pay for my home VoIP line. I think I pay fifty bucks a month. 
Yeah, it's 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 next to nothing, and it's um, and the quality is good, and it's reliable, and it's very stable. The other the other interesting uh, player that could have an uh, interest in this would be Liquid Telecom, potentially in buying market share. Potentially, yes, potentially. If they if they want to get Vox is more of a consumer play, um, although they obviously do sell to businesses as well. But uh, a lot of their business is. Um, uh, certainly in the in the uh, in the um, internet access business is consumer facing. Um, does Liquid want to be a big player in consumer telecoms? I'm not sure. They have a new CEO now. Maybe the strategy is going to change. Um, but um, I think historically, Liquid Telecom, Neotel, has been stronger in in providing business services. Yeah, and then you see, I was an interesting guy. Should uh, get him on your podcaster one day. I mean, he's uh, yeah, I've been trying. He's had, <laughs> he's had so many different jobs, and uh, very yeah. interesting guy. You know, Richard Shaw, of course. Yeah, ex uh, yeah, DFA, DFA, and uh, Cisco before that. Oh, Microsoft right. at yeah. one stage. He's been at so many yeah. different organizations. Absolutely. Rashad, if you're listening to the show, we want you on our podcast sooner rather than later. Please give me a shout or I'll give you a call. Um, and I think that's the uh, that's our news this week. Let's move on to our winners and losers. Um, I've picked Rain Mobile as our winner this week. Um, they uh, launched a couple of weeks ago now in, in sort of soft launch phase. They've had some teething issues in getting SIM cards out to customers. I'm picking them purely because they're, uh, they seem to be pretty disruptive. Now, um, I've, I've been actually been getting a lot of phone calls from people just, just phoning me out of the blue and asking me about about Rain Mobile because they're interested, but they don't quite understand what they're buying. Um, I think the important thing to point out about Rain Mobile is that it does not support legacy voice calls and SMS. So uh, if you pop this thing into your phone, one of their SIMs into your phone, you're not going to be able to phone your buddy um, unless you do a WhatsApp voice call or a Skype call or some other VoIP uh, type of call. So, and, and people won't be able it's to phone you on that number. Yeah. But I, I certainly wouldn't be able to do it on my primary device. Uh, mm, I think mm. that um, no. But if you're, if you're a younger generation person, you just want data. Yeah. Um, you probably use these platforms to communicate in any case. Yeah. Also, there's these guys with dual. Now the operators have. Um, there's a lot of dual SIM phones in the country. Makes a lot of sense for those guys. Dual SIM. All, all the VoIP services will work on that. Okay. Yes, they will. Yeah, provided your signal's strong enough, of course. Um, if you're on the edge yeah, of the coverage yeah. area, then. Uh, you're going to have a have a bit of trouble, but um, but it's a good offering. It's five cents a megabyte, um, which works out to fifty rand a gigabyte, which is uh, amongst good, the yeah. cheapest, if not the cheapest, mobile offering on the market. And it doesn't expire, right? It doesn't expire, and uh, if you spend another two hundred and fifty rand a month, you get uncapped data for nineteen hours a day, um, oh, which right. is pretty so compelling. It's a, a very good deal. Yeah, it's a very nineteen deal. hours a day. Uh, 19 hours. No, uh, the, the evening peak is uh, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So, But I have heard a lot of complaints, guys. I mean, hmm. it, it is disruptive, but I don't think they quite anticipated the demand they were going to get. And there's a massive backlog of getting the SIM yes. cards out. I've heard a lot of people saying that, um, you know, the speeds aren't so great. Uh, so, so they do face a couple of challenges, but just knowing who's behind it. I think that they they're going to sort those kind of things out pretty quickly. But yeah, uh, yeah I do agree with you. It is it's very disruptive. But they need to they need to deal with the negative stuff very quickly. Absolutely, absolutely. Teething problems I think can be can be expected, especially if you're a, a startup of this nature. Um, the, the proof will be in the pudding. If they're still having problems in three months' time, we know they um, they've, they've they've made some big mistakes. But mm. uh, I, I'm I'm inclined to give them the benefit of the doubt for the moment. 
Our yeah. um, our loser this week is Intel for the reasons uh, we have already um, expounded upon. So we'll move straight along to our picks of the week. Aki, I am waiting in uh, with bated breath here to find out what you've picked this week. <laughs> settle down, settle down. <laughs> um, so, I, I, you know, the, the interesting thing is that um, if you go back 10 years ago, Nokia was one of the, you know, it was like they were untouchable, yeah, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, they were the biggest uh, phone producer in the world, and then it went all horribly wrong. Now, the new devices that have been coming out, actually, I actually quite like them, and uh, I'm quite impressed with the build quality, and I've been playing with uh, the Nokia... I don't know how you pronounce it. Their top end device, Sirocco. Yeah, um, and you know, I, I like the phone. I like the design of the phone. Um, uh, you know, it's it's a good looking phone. It it works well. The software is solid, and that for me is the pick of the week. I've just really really enjoyed what what these guys are doing, and I uh, I really like the style, and I really like the the fact that they they're focusing on quality and they're focusing on price. So for me, the Nokia Sirocco is a really, really nice uh, flagship device that they've launched. Great stuff. I look forward to playing with that. I've um, I played with a prototype device before launch, um, and it, it's a nice, nice-looking phone, I must say. And um, I, I think very, that, very nice. I think the most exciting phone in their lineup is the Nokia Seven Plus uh, for the price point. Um, yeah, that is a stunning, stunning device, for which you, which I think costs around five and a half or six thousand rand. And for that price, you're getting an amazing phone with sixty-four gigabytes of storage, a large, bright display. Um, pretty, pretty tough to beat that. Uh, yeah, and they, they, they're just doing some really hmm. interesting stuff. Uh, I don't know if they'll ever get to where they were back 10 years ago, but um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that a lot of their competitors are sitting up and they're noticing uh, that the quality is good. Uh, the fact that it runs stock Android is fantastic. Mm, that's awesome. So, uh, yeah, the, the devices are really nice, and I agree with you on the 7 as well. It's a great, great device yeah. for the money. For the money, it's it's uh, you know if you're in the mid, in the market for a mid-range phone, uh, I think you you'd be hard pressed to find something better. Yeah, Rechard, what's your pick? Um, okay, so I am in my uh, I'm picking Instagram TV. That is my new go-to. Wasting my time just consuming. I thought that was PUBG. Content. Oh, but PUBG too. But PUBG is a bit <laughs> old to pick now. Okay. But then if I can do a, a pick B, yes. The, pick I've B. spent uh, the last week. I've spent about twenty-four hours playing PUBG. It's been absolutely <laughs> addictive, and I've loved every moment of it. Have you been bitten by the PUBG bug, Aki? No, not yet. Not a, not a twenty-four hour period like Raychard, but um, I'm, I'm actually scared to try if uh, <laughs> if it's uh, taken if it's taken up so much of your time, Raychard. Yeah, look, it's, it's just something you get into. It's a very it's a very fun gameplay type. Um, for those of you that don't know, you hundred men enter, one man leaves type of vibe. <laughs> so yeah, there's no respawns. You know, you have one life. You pick up loot. Um, it's kind of it hits all the it hits all the uh, notes for an enjoying game. You know, a game can last anywhere from five minutes to. 25, 30 yeah. minutes, I think. So I, I was, I was, I spent a few uh, um, hours the other evening playing with Rehot and some other guys online, and it is very addictive. Uh, the, the concept is you basically um, there's a hundred of you, men and women, uh, not just men, Rehot. Uh, you jump out of a <laughs> jump out of a plane and onto this island, and uh, and there's these circles, and they get smaller and smaller. Um, so you, you can't be caught outside the circle. So the game gets more and more intense as you try and hunt each other down. Um, the idea is you can either play as a single player or a squad of, of players in, in co-op mode. Um, but the, the circles keep getting smaller, so the game gets more and more intense as you play online against other people. But uh, uh, how long does it take to, to play, um, to, to complete a game like that? It really depends. Uh, 
anywhere from five to about twenty minutes. I mean, if you get killed early on, you're out and you have to restart the game. Yeah. But if you if you play in a squad um, and you you survive, I mean, the games. I mean, obviously there's a there's a finite time. It's not like it's going to go on with some other games. We can get hour and a half sessions yes. because that that circle shrinks exponentially at a rate. Um, so the go- the games will only... I don't actually know what that number is, but the games will always only last so long. It's not like it'll last longer if this happens. Yeah, I don't think it's more than about half an hour, 40 minutes yeah. at most, yeah. Which is nice, because you can, you can just jump in and, 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 uh, and play. And you don't have to have a friend online. You can just go in as a mm. solo player and compete with people online if you want to uh, release a bit of stress. It's quite fun. We should also not forget, actually, that the Steam sale is on right now, and that PUBG yes. is on sale, too. So it's well worth checking it out if you want to get it for a good price. Yeah, I've already spent far too much money on the Steam summer sale, I must say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so what was your top pick there for a summer sale so far? Um, I would go and have a look at the Just Cause uh, franchise. They're available for Ooh, basically nothing right now. Just Cause 3, which was launched only, t- I think, two years ago, is available for something like 40 bucks. Uh, Just Cause 2, which is my favorite in the series, is, is available for some crazy amount of money, like 15 Rand or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I would highly recommend, if you haven't played the Just Cause series, uh, go, go check that out. It's, uh, it's, Definitely. it's almost free. It's so cheap on Steam at the moment. My pick this week is hmm. Podcasts by Google. We finally have a proper podcast Ooh. app from Google, um, and it looks pretty good. Uh, Tech Central's podcasts are in there already. Um, nice. And, uh, yeah, if you're looking for a good free podcast app for Android, go check out Podcasts by Google. My favorite is still Pocket Casts, I'm afraid, uh, which is a paid-for app, and um, I'd still recommend it over, po- over Podcasts by Google. But um, there's now a great free um, uh, alternative available um, in the form of Google's podcast app for Android. So go have a look at that. Hmm. Um, I think that's almost our show. We have a winner in our competition, I'm very pleased to say. Um, yeah. Uh, the question, of course, we're giving away the Ring Video Doorbell. And by the way, if you, don't, if you haven't won in this show, we are going to give away another one next week. Uh, um, we have uh, two of these devices to give away. Uh, so if you haven't won today, please come back and listen to the show live again next week and we'll give away the second ring doorbell. Uh, but our winner today is da 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 da, Jonathan. Congratulations! Uh, I will be getting in contact with you after the show. I uh, will send you a WhatsApp just to ask for your delivery details, and uh, that ring doorbell will be winging its way to you. The question, of course, was which the U.S. city is the headquarters of Ring, and the answer is no. It's not Los Angeles. The answer is Santa Monica. And uh, I think that is our show, apart from our quiz results. Rehart, do you want... No, let me do the first question. The SABC has a new CEO, effective 1 July. Who is he? And that is Madoda Mhakwe. The second question. Intel CEO this week was ousted after it was discovered he had a romantic relationship with one of the company's employees in a controversial contravention of the company's policy. Who is he? And the answer is obviously Brian Cranich. And who are currently the world's three richest people in order, according to the Bloomberg Billionaires Index? Aki, do you want to have a go at answering that? Oh, the three richest people. I would say Amazon's Jeff Bezos must be there. I would say that uh, Bill Gates is there and Carlos Slim. Good. Mexico's Carlos Slim. Good, uh, the, good, good, good guesses. In, in that order. Yeah, Jeff Bezos, number one, Bill Gates, number two, and the third is Warren Buffett. 
Okay. And uh, what the reason I asked the question in the quiz this week is that um, Facebook founder um, Mark Zuckerberg is on the verge of overtaking Warren Buffett to become the world's third richest person. Uh, he was just a couple of million dollars away last week, and um, it's very likely that this week, assuming this Facebook share price performs, which it has been doing over in, in the recent times, uh, he will uh, overtake Warren Buffett and be only be behind Bezos and Gates as world's third richest man. Quite astonishing for a social network. And thanks to all of us <laughs> for, for getting him to that position. Yeah. Indeed. Thank you, Rehod. Thank you, Duncan. Thank you, Aki. We and millions of other people have made Mark Zuckerberg where he Rich. is. <laughs> do, you think do, share, do, you think do you think he shares some of his do, wealth with us? Do you think he cares? <laughs> no. no, he doesn't. <laughs> do you, do you think well, I mean, he's going to find... share a lot of it, you know. I mean, you, you know, it's amazing, guys. All of these guys, Bill Gates and all these guys, they say they're giving away most of their wealth, right? But yet every year they make it to the top three list. How is that possible? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Not giving away enough. That's, mm. that's the thing. Mm. The fourth question in this week's quiz, Nuspers this week was one of two investors who pumped 2.9 billion rand into which Indian fast food technology company? And the answer there is Swiggy. I've never heard of them. You've never uh, heard of Swiggy? Never heard of Swiggy. Me neither have I. <laughs> no, I hadn't heard either until this week, I must admit. <laughs> but then they are an Indian company. We don't live in India, so we're forgiven. Sure, sure. And, uh, Aki, I'm going to leave you to answer this question once I've um, repeated it. Aki Anastasiu hosts a technology segment on Gauteng Radio Station 702. What is the segment called? It's called Technobyte. I thought you'd forgotten there for a moment. <laughs> no, I was going to be sneaky and say uh, Tech Central or something. something. <laughs> it's called Technobyte. On 702, it's on a Monday at 11 o'clock. Monday at 11. That's on the Eusebius MacKaiser show. Correct, correct. Cool, cool. So you'll catch Aki on 702. His uh, Twitter handle is Aki Anastasio, at Aki Anastasio. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. It's been really, it's been a pleasure to have you here and uh, to talk about the latest tech news. We hopefully will have you on the show again, uh, Aki, in the not-too-distant future. I love it. Thanks for hanging out. And, guys, it's been an absolute privilege. Thank you for having me. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. You too. Thanks and you. Uh, from, from I'm going to play Pipe PG now, whatever you call it. <laughs> Pipe G. Pub Go G. to the pub and play G. <laughs> okay. Actually, going to the pub sounds like a better idea than spending the afternoon staring at a screen, I must say. Um, so I think I shall do that as soon as I have edited the podcast. So from Aki, Rechart, and myself, until next week, take care and cheers. Ciao, ciao.